0: Hi, this is Nick Forster. Welcome to the E-Town Podcast. This week, it's part two of our ever-so-special show with Aoife O'Donovan, Che Appalachie, and then this week we've got a special conversation with B Johnson, who sounds very American, but in fact is French, and she's going to talk to us about the joys of not shopping. All that and more starts right now.
1: From E-Town Hall in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, it's part two of our special two-part E-Town series. Featuring Che Apalache from Argentina and beyond, our interview guest author B. Johnson, and from Brooklyn, New York, Aoife O'Donovan. I'm Helen Forster. Right now, join me in welcoming our host, Nick Forster.
0: Thank you, Helen. Thanks, everybody. Welcome to E-Town. Thanks to Che Apalache for helping us with our opening theme this week, our, our, uh, our all-acoustic, wild international version of our opening theme. So um, this week we've got musical flavors that come together and cross-pollinate from lots of different places, from uh, Europe and Ireland and Argentina and Mexico and the southern U.S. And it actually all fits. It all Works together beautifully, as you're about to find out. Uh, our pal, Ifa O'Donovan, is here to share some music from her latest project. And uh, Jeremy, with the help from some local standout players, is here. And it's we like to call the local string players the Free Range Quartet. <laughs> Just uh, because, but, but the faces and the instruments change from time to time, but we've got them with us. Che Apaleche is here from Argentina to play some international original bluegrass music. They got started when joe troop who grew up in north carolina and, and developed a love for bluegrass and old-time music he began traveling the world as a young person he eventually found his way to spain met some argentinian musicians there and decided to move to buenos aires and and then began teaching uh, bluegrass and old-time music down there and pretty soon the best of his students got together and the band was born and they aren't simply an international bluegrass band. They are a band that makes a point of reminding us that we're all connected across borders and boundaries, as I was saying before, in any language, despite all whatever blocks you might want to put up, uh, races, sexual orientation, we're all connected, and we can do better, and that's part of their message. We're happy they're here. Please welcome Che Appalachi.
2: Uh, We're going to do a song that's pretty important to us and I'm sort of buying time while my bandmates tune because it's an E-flat and the banjo has to tune up. So, uh, I guess Nick and I are going to talk about it afterwards, but this is about a friend of the band, Moises Serrano, who's an activist and an undocumented North Carolinian, actually. Though he's legally not a North Carolinian, which is completely ridiculous and needs to be changed. This is his story. It's the story of a DACA recipient from North Carolina who, despite all the trials and tribulations he's faced, has been very strong and is fighting for his people. He's called the dreamer.
3: Wouldn't roam or so harsh a land. There the sun beats down like hellfire. Bones mark a path clear across the sands. Forlorn souls upon them walking.
4: Ay, 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 mi corazón.
3: Venga nuestra salvación. baby moses one but one year old when his mom across the border two little girls scurrying along in tow he was a crying on her shoulder their long journeys in was yadkin county tobacco road north carolina Where a grief-stricken daddy prayed through desperate nights His family would soon be reunited Ay, 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 mi
4: corazón Venga nuestra salvación
3: Well, Moses grew up
4: playing high
3: Flashing lights through endless nights proved the world was unforgiving. An immigrant child must face a life where dreaming is forbidden. The Lord, when all is said and done, Summer green gives way to Auburn. Into the wilds was Moses thrust for to wade against rough waters. Now you and I can sing a song, and we can build a congregation. But only when we take a stand, Will we change our broken nation?
0: That's a cool sound and a cool song, uh, Joe Troop from Che Apeleche, Welcome to E Town. Glad you're here. Thank you, Nick. Glad it's a you played to be here. Um, your your new record is called "Rearrange My Heart" and includes a, a series of invitations to look at things a little differently. Um, and that song, "The Dreamer," it's just somebody you knew, and that was his experience.
2: Yeah, he's a special guy, too. Moises is a political activist, and he was featured in a documentary film called Forbidden, Undocumented, and Queer in Rural America. And I thought he was really brave,
0: so I was immediately intrigued. Right. And um, I want to congratulate you on the, uh, the Grammy nomination for your record. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, That was pretty cool. Was it cool?
2: It was cool, yeah. It was like being on a really fancy cruise ship, sort yeah. of. Did you invite Moises to come? Yep, as soon as we got the nomination, we were like, well, he's got to be there. So he walked the red carpet with us. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. He also directed, uh, I'm sorry, he uh, wrote the script for the music video that we made for that song, and he acted in it, too. So yeah. we kind of go
0: on full circle with his story. Well, it's great to find this combination of updating the traditions and the musical traditions that you grew up around and were inspired by and that you've sort of expanded, but also kind of contemporizing the songs uh, around issues that you care about. Right. It's not not typical.
2: Oh, I guess we're just trying to uh, make space for a new narrative because there's already a parallel narrative that exists. People just haven't latched onto it in media too much. Yeah. We just need to start telling them the right stories, the contemporary
0: stories. You know. Yeah. Well, let me back up a little bit. So you grew up in North Carolina. Did your parents take you to hear uh old time and bluegrass uh, music when you were young
2: actually my brother did my brother took me up uh, he was at asu and i'm a bit younger than him and he uh one time he came back to winston-salem from boone north carolina and was just going to take me up to hang out with him for a weekend and on the way there was this old country diner and uh, he said oh doc watson you're gonna like this guy so he walked in i was 13 years old and i sat literally right in front of doc and his family members just mesmerized and i and i had this like Epiphany it was like I found myself that very night and uh, as soon as wow. doc finished he came up and said son I think I recognize you and I was like How do you recognize me you're blind? <laughs> but I also felt that's really nice. Why why me? I'm just a guy and I just thought and that just, just a testament to how cool doc was Yeah, you know? so that was my first experience which is a pretty good one.
0: I'd that's say. a really good one. That's a good origin story Yeah, no kidding. Yeah <laughs> um and you were talking about uh, Moises coming out and yeah. you know, being in North Carolina and being queer. How old were you when you came out? I guess 19. I had already come out to myself when I was a kid. You know, I knew I was gay, but
2: it was pretty taboo back then still, you know, yeah. especially in the Southeast. But so. I came out publicly at 19.
0: I had the whole gay parade, and then I'm, I said, okay, I'm leaving. and went to Spain. So yeah. <laughs> um, And I'm wondering if just knowing, as a teenager, knowing that about yourself and not sharing it, in some ways isn't... Um, you know, similar to that experience of being undocumented. Yeah, in immigrant rights activism, you'll find an overwhelming
2: number of queers involved in it because there is, a, I guess, an intersectionality there. That's why Moises' film is so interesting, you know, right. the intersectionality of being both queer and undocumented
0: and the risk of coming out as either. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you got to Spain, why was that a special place for you in your travels? You went to Japan, you went to a whole bunch of other countries. Well, what basically,
2: happened? I mean, Spain was... a. Uh, was cool because I was automatically othered. I mean, I didn't have to worry about being othered because I had to learn how to get cheese and not <laughs> be outed as a foreigner. Yeah. So the immigrant experience is kind of wonderful in a way because it allows you to just kind of, uh, no matter what you do, you're going to be the oddball out. You know? Yeah. And you're musical, so you're good with languages. I have an act for him. I really like them, though. I think yeah. it's more of a, of a passion than it is a talent. I, I'd say that about my lingual capacity. I'm yeah. no hyperpolyglot. I, I speak a few of them.
0: Yeah, like how many?
2: uh well i speak japanese and i speak spanish because i've lived in it for 12 years yeah uh, you're speaking
0: pretty good french backstage i can speak a little french i can speak french <laughs> yeah you can speak a little north carolina if you have to yeah i could do that too um hey uh and so what about the move to argentina why was that different what did you find down there
2: well because that was my re- that's a real immigrant experience like uh, you know americans tend to call themselves expats because we come from the empire but i got to actually start identifying as an immigrant and liking how that rung uh in myers yeah so yeah i got down there 10 years ago and uh it runs the emotional gamut what you experience as a person from a different place and it helps you build empathy towards people who might be experiencing something akin to that but in your native land so that's why bringing chapel up here was such a powerful thing because we got to kind of uh shed some light on the issue of migration and having to assimilate in a place that's not yours because you do go through the gamut of humiliation, sadness, homesickness, everything. Everyone goes through that. Yeah. And uh, having experienced that was a beautifully emboldening process. Mm-hmm. So highly recommend
0: it. <laughs> to all you kids listening out there. <laughs> go somewhere. Go somewhere,
4: where somewhere
2: else. Yeah. <laughs>
0: You know, um, in case you just tuned in, you're listening to Etel and I'm here with Joe Troop from the Banche Che Apaleche. I want to ask you about when you get to Argentina, because there's a whole indigenous musical culture there. There's tango and lots, lots and lots of stuff down there, right? Yeah, it's incredibly diverse. I mean, the country's huge. What's m- most been exported is,
2: is tango, but you've got milonga, chacarera, chamamé, samba with a Z another Brazilian samba, and uh, why no and all these, uh, you know,
0: Carnavalito, all these amazing musics.
2: Wow. Yeah, it's crazy.
0: And uh, as an American, is there any sort of residual awareness of the U.S.'s sort of disruptive role with our CIA intervention and stuff in, in Argentina? Of I course. Mean,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, interventionist policies have devastated Latin America for a long time. And then Argentina is no exception to that. In fact, the, the latest dictatorship, 76 to 83, was Operation Condor. So they... Flew in there and, you know, it wasn't just the United States, but let's just say that
0: there is a lot of resentment towards the United States down there. Yeah. And I think justifiably. You're uh, you're you're not being shy about saying, look, I'm from North Carolina, I'm playing bluegrass music and I'm putting up my shingle and teaching. I'm going to teach all the other musicians how to play this kind of music. That's a bold move of its own.
2: Yeah, it's kind of cool opening new narratives in other places too. Like, I mean, Che Appalachie does that in Argentina as much as we do in the United States. It's kind of like, you know, people hear, there's a a stigma. The the stigma of Appalachian string band music as being, you know, a bunch of ignorant hillbillies has been propagated internationally. So people, as soon as they hear a banjo, they'll be like, ah, like Cletus on The Simpsons or something. But they they won't know the depth and the beauty inherent to the Appalachian musical tradition. You know what I mean? It's been subjugated too in the narrative. So it's just kind of like, you know... We get to be half musicians, half sociologists, I suppose.
0: Yeah, well, you're, all, you're, you're encouraging throughout people to sort of think of things rearranging their hearts, thinking about different ways of looking at things. Hmm. And there is something, as a guy who's been around the bluegrass world a little bit, there is something powerful about that style of music, the drive that comes from that combination of instruments and the style of singing and the connection that people can have when they participate, because it's a participatory kind of music.
2: It sure is. And it's also a kind of music that is a little bit far less judgmental than other types of music. You know, like, if you can play, you can get a stage. You might be half homely. You might not be the the purtiest berry in the batch, but that doesn't matter. It's all about the music, you know what I mean? And that's what's so cool about bluegrass. What it really boils down to is your
0: level of artistic expression. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, a lot of the songs are... um not terribly contemporary themes. A lot of them are about being homesick and, you know, the traditional songs or, or, or mm-hmm. loss or wistfulness or, in some cases, just kind of words that are strung together so that the tunes can be played longer. Yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of fluff.
2: Yeah. In all traditional music uh, throughout the world, there's quite a bit of fluff.
0: But you're, you're, uh, you're changing that in that you're bringing this relatively traditional style of music up to date with some themes that are really current and really insightful, and I imagine some of your songs are perceived as kind of like, whoa, wait a minute, what's what's he talking about? We're at a bluegrass festival here in the south, and you're singing about these themes that I wasn't prepared to confront at this moment. Right, that's
2: the disrupting of the narrative, like you guys in Hot Rise were brilliant at doing that. You kind of pass the torch along to us, I gotta sing y'all's praises too, but uh, you go in there, and yeah, you, you don't coincide particularly well with the the zeitgeist of where you're playing, but If you're clever enough, there is a way to subvert, and that's the whole idea. (laughs) And indoctrinate, I suppose. You got to usher in people to the right side of history sometimes, you know what I mean?
0: Which leads us to your next song. Yeah. In a pretty cool way. So we've got lots more music. Joe, this next song is one I know you're playing uh, at festivals, and... And it attracts different responses, and, and our audience is going to be given that opportunity right now. Cool. Welcome back to E Town, Che Apalache.
2: Thank you. Well, that was the uh, title track of our latest album that we recorded in, in, of all places, Bailaflex Basement in Nashville, Tennessee. And he knew we were there. <laughs> he actually uh, offered to produce us for some reason. And we are mighty happy that he did because it, it, we think it turned out great. So anyway, uh, we're gonna do another one off that album. One that is uh, pretty eclectic. It's inspired by the music of a little potato farming village in Japan, that I lived in for a couple of years, a place called Minamitsunoshinomiya Shimoino Sato, and uh, we're going to take you on a little majestic unicorn ride through the cosmos. You could say this is one called Haruno Tayori, and it means the coming of spring.
3: の頼り里にとぼいて Oh, love can still さんチャン気分走かい<笑>
0: Apalache. Joe True, Paul Barhao, Martin Bobrick, Franco Martino. The record is called Rearrange My Heart out on Free Dirt Records from Buenos Aires, Argentina. Che Apalache.
1: Your visit to E Town is made possible in part by the Bohemian Foundation, building stronger communities through the Bohemian qualities of creativity and imagination. On the web at bohemianfoundation.org. By the way, if you've tuned in late and you've missed some of this week's wonderful program, the E-Town Podcast will have this episode and others, along with lots of great content from past shows as well. It's available for free in Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, and all those other podcast directories. You're listening to E-Town.
0: I'm Nick Forster, you're listening to E-Town. We've got more music coming up from Aoife O'Donovan in a little while right now. Tell you about what's next. Every week, uh, we get a chance to share a story of somebody who is doing something special in their hometown or beyond. Generally, these are volunteers or sometimes they're uh, business people or or authors or, or science folks. This week, we have a great story. Here comes Helen to tell you more about this week's guest.
1: Thank you, Nick. B. Johnson has written a book called Zero Waste Home that's now been printed in 27 languages. She's celebrated around the world, and she's in some way launched a movement for people to really think about how they live, how they shop, how they cook, and how we choose to make an impact on the planet. She's also demonstrating that zero waste living doesn't have to be arduous it can be elegant it can be successful and it can actually be easy we're going to learn more about it right now please welcome B Johnson
0: Welcome B Johnson thanks for coming
5: Thanks for having me
0: Yeah so so where did this start did you grow up in a household that was just full of all kinds of material that offended you? Or where did you get this idea?
5: Well, actually, yes, I did. Yeah. But <laughs> that didn't really have an impact on me. I mean, I, I grew up in the south of France in the countryside where people do have a tendency to uh, maybe hold on to materials uh, just in case things break or they need to repair because they don't have access to a lot of materials. And also, I come from uh, two parents who uh, came right after the war. So they've been basically instilled that mm-hmm. uh, you have to and mm-hmm. hold on to things just in case. Uh, What really happened is that in 2006, we were living out in the suburbs of San Francisco, but we were located on a cul-de-sac in a place where we had to drive to go to the grocery stores, schools, restaurants, movie theaters, and we missed the life that we had known in the big cities. My Mm -hmm. husband and I had lived in London, Paris, Amsterdam, where we were used to walking and biking everywhere. So we decided to relocate, but before finding the right house, we rented an apartment for one year and only moved in with the necessities and during that year we had an epiphany we realized that when you have less then you have more time more time to do what's important to you
0: and more space
5: more space because yeah you just have space to move around you've let go of all the stuff that just is not necessary and over time, we also found time to read books and watch documentaries on environmental issues, mm-hmm. which made my husband and I sad thinking about the future that we as parents were creating for our sure. children. And that's what gave us the motivation to change.
4: Yeah.
5: And actually, our lifestyle is not about recycling more and composting more. It's actually preventing waste from coming in our home in the first place. For us, the definition of zero waste is very different than what it would be for a municipality. Uh, In a municipality, the goal is 100% recycling, 100% composting. But for a household, it's about prevention first and foremost. Mm -hmm. So as I describe in my book, Zero Waste Home, in order to achieve just one jar of trash per year, for our family of four all we do is follow my five rules in order refuse reduce reuse before we recycle and we rot the five hours yeah. so um the first three R's, refusing what you do not need, reducing what you do actually need, and reusing by swapping disposables for reusables, mm-hmm. those three R's allow you to have the control over the material. Mm-hmm. Once you put a material on the curb, you have no idea what's going to happen right. to it. Yeah. Uh, it's just much better to prevent waste right. uh, in the first so, place.
0: So tell me what it's like. You're, you're a mother, um, you, you, you're you married, you have a, you have a household... What is it like when you go to the grocery store?
5: So we apply the five R's to every aspect of our lifestyle. So one, we refuse the things that we don't need that is junk food, or anything that is packaged, Um, we reduce. So of course, we don't buy huge quantities, we just buy just what we need. And we reuse and in reusing that means going to the grocery store with a kit of reusables. So I not only bring totes, but I also bring mesh bags for produce cloth bags for anything dry, like flour, salt, sugar, cereal, Mm -hmm. I bring glass jars for anything wet, meat, fish, deli, cheese, I bring a pillowcase for bread i buy milk in a returnable container mm-hmm. and that is what allows us to not bring any packaging into our household
0: yeah that's great and um, what if you need a new uh, toaster and the toaster comes and it's wrapped in styrofoam and it's well, in a cardboard box
5: when we bought the toaster we ask ourselves is it a good toaster is it gonna last a long time yeah we really favor quality yeah. over uh, you know, the, the price. I mean, right. to us uh, when you buy cheap, it's going to break and then you're going to have to buy another one. Yeah. So in the end, it doesn't save you money. It's mm-hmm. the opposite. So we've had our toaster for about, I think, 15 years now. Mm-hmm. We don't have a problem with it, but I had another item of that same brand that broke and when it broke, I sent it to the company. They repaired it and sent it back. We also like to support the products with an unconditional lifetime warranty. Mm-hmm. So for example, the socks I'm wearing today, uh, and it's actually the only socks I own, are by Dorn Tough. Dorn Tough is a brand of socks with an unconditional lifetime warranty. Mm. That means that if I get a hole in my sock, I can just send it to them, they repair it, if they can they replace them. There are very few products that do an unconditional yeah. lifetime warranty, it's taken quite a bit of work to figure out which ones they sure. are, but they're great and we like to support them. I mean, I talk about that yeah. in the book, it's uh, yeah. in my talks, yeah. uh, and also on the blog. I talk a yeah. lot about that.
0: Is there anything that in this series of decisions that you make, is there anything that's just daunting, that's really hard for you to find a way around either packaging or materials, that, that's something that you want to consume and that you regularly do consume?
5: No, at home, really, we found the balance that works for us. And, you know, in order for Zero Waste to be successful in in a household, one has to adopt alternatives that they can see themselves doing for life, Mm -hmm. because that's when Zero Waste becomes a Mm -hmm. lifestyle. If uh, you start, and I see trends of people associating Zero Waste with everything homemade. So you have people like making Zero Waste toothpaste, Zero Waste lotions. I mean, I want them to ask themselves, like, do you see yourself doing that, you know, for the rest of your life? for when you have a family of four. In my case, that response was no. So then yeah. I'm not making my own toothpaste. I don't make my own lotion. Actually, to wash our hair, faces, and bodies, and also in new of shaving cream, we just use one bar of soap. It's a bar of soap that's sold unpackaged. It doesn't require any recipe, any making. It's just very simple. It's one unpackaged product that has eliminated four others. To brush our teeth, we sprinkle baking soda, mm-hmm. which we buy in bulk on a wooden toothbrush, which is compostable. So. Again, there is no making yeah. uh, of a toothpaste. It's just we're using something very simple. Yeah. In a way, it's going back to basics, using right. alternatives that our parents used to use not yeah. so long ago. In
0: case you just tuned in, you're listening to E Town. We're here with B Johnson. Let me ask you just a couple more things. One is, you know, as a parent, I know you're concerned about the state of the environment and and climate change and other things that are happening that are global pressures on our system. And this is a way for I think people to think a little more about where things come from and where they go, which is critical if you're going to become environmentally aware. But in the range of issues like energy efficiency or how we travel or things that will have a more direct impact on climate change, for example, where do you think the zero waste mentality ranks in terms of importance?
5: Well, I mean, to me, the zero waste lifestyle really targets many aspects of one's lifestyle, right? So we're talking about a lifestyle, not just trash. We're talking about a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So that means that when you bring zero waste into your home, then you're going to be paying attention to your energy. You're going to be paying attention to how much water you consume. Mm-hmm. There is a lot that is associated with the consumption. Uh, it's not just buying, uh, you know, things and package, but it's also not buying or buying used. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people are afraid of buying used. But in the end, you know, there is so much out there. It's like, why not?
0: Yeah. Well, it's an inspiring set of um, goals, the five R's. We can learn more. You have a website, I'm sure.
5: Yeah, zerowastehome.com.
0: zerowastehome.com. So anybody who wants to learn more can go to zerowastehome.com. And it's incremental. It doesn't mean someone needs to suddenly transform their lifestyle. This is just about becoming educated. And as you say, finding those aspects of that transition. Exactly. That you can adopt and embrace for life.
5: Exactly. It's not like we adopted a zero waste lifestyle overnight. We don't expect anyone to do this yeah. overnight. I'm not even here to tell people how to live their lives. It's never been my goal. We're just here to talk about mm-hmm. what we've been able to do, the great advantages that we discovered with this lifestyle. We found that it's not only good for the environment. It's also been amazing for our health. It's saving us 40% on our overall budget. But best of all, we have discovered a life based on experiences instead of things, a life of being in instead. instead of having, and that to us is what makes life richer. Now, if people go uh, on the blog, of course, I have uh, some uh, resources on there. And especially, I have a bulk finder. It's, uh, it's a resource that has allowed for the global waste community to share all the bulk locations that they discover throughout the world. So we have 46,000 locations that have been entered in 160 countries. So if you're just getting started and you don't know where to find your products and package, check out the bulk finder mm. on zeroestorm.com. You'll be amazed to see how much is available near you.
0: Yeah. B. Last question: Is there anybody who's pushing back? Have you ever gotten any feedback that says, "Hey, oh, this is—we don't want this. This is trouble." Are there companies that, or retailers or manufacturers that see you and say, "Oh boy, this is going to hurt our business."
5: You know, it's, it's a question that people often ask me. They've asked me if I receive death threats mm-hmm. from large corporations or, you know, if I receive like hate mail from them, but actually no. The corporations are really listening in the end. I've had yeah. the, the great opportunity to speak at places like Starbucks or Amazon, uh, United Nations or European Parliament. But in the end, I'm not there to tell them how to run their committees or to run their businesses. I'm only here to say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is the movement that has emerged from it. Of course, it's in your best interest to adapt it to your businesses. Yeah. And that's why now, you know, just a few months ago, uh, large corporations like Unilever or Procter & Gamble announced that they were ready to sell their products in reusables, because the zero waste community, of course, has shown that that's mm-hmm. what they want. And we're talking here about hagen NAS in a stainless steel container, right. or b with a reusable handle, um, or Tide in a stainless steel so can- a container. I mean, this is amazing. I. I would have never thought, you know, when we started this in our home 10 years ago that right. I would see this happening in my lifetime. Yeah. And, and I have a lot of people criticizing and, uh, you know, uh, people on, on social media have said, well, yeah, but aren't you worried that this is just greenwashing from them? And I'm like, I don't care if it's greenwashing right. because if they announce it, if they say that they're doing it, of course it's going to make the small manufacturers do the same thing. So mm-hmm. I think it's all positive.
0: The other thing that I just want to point out is that, these are big issues. When you have somebody who's concerned about the future for their children, for their family, thinking about things like accessibility to fresh and clean water or climate change, these are big issues. And a lot of times people don't know where to start to actually do something about them. They maybe become overwhelmed and they just become paralyzed. This is a tangible, physical series of steps that everybody could explore. They don't have to take them, but they can explore and educate themselves. And it's, it's a point of entry for making a difference.
5: I really believe that change is in the consumer's hands. Manufacturers only make what consumers buy. If consumers can buy differently, then of course it creates a demand for a different economy. And that's why now we have those large corporations that have seen the demand and are doing it. So don't sit back waiting for manufacturers to change or for politicians to make things happen for you. Uh, Just take it in your own home and do it because that's what will lead change. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much, B. Johnson, again, here at E-Town. Thanks so much for spending time with us.
5: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
1: If you tuned in late, that was an interview with B. Johnson, author of the book Zero Waste Home. If you'd like to learn more about her work, you can find a lot of information about her on our website too, etown.org. Also, we'd love to hear from you if you have any comments about this segment or the show in general, or suggestions for other folks you'd like to hear from, we're always reachable on Facebook, or our email address is info at etown.org. Or you can always write us the old-fashioned way at Vox 954, Boulder, Colorado,
0: 80306. Thank you, Helen. Thank you so much, Pete Johnson.
1: Your visit to E-Town is made possible in part by Silk, a pioneer of plant-based beverages that supports the environment as the charter sponsor of Change the Course, a program created by National Geographic to help conserve and restore fresh water to the planet. More about Silk's environmental commitments and plant-based nutrition at silk.com. And by our diverse family of NPR affiliates and community stations, plus college and commercial stations, as well as our international stations and podcast subscribers worldwide. Thank you for your continued support. Now, If you're curious about E-Town's home base, E-Town Hall, our beautiful solar-powered music venue, community center, and recording studio in downtown Boulder, Colorado, you can learn more about it on our website, etown.org. You're listening to E-Town.
0: Nick Forster, I want to say hello to our listeners who hear E Town on stations like WMOT Roots Radio in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and Nashville, on KYSL Crystal 93 FM in Frisco, Colorado, and on WNCW Listener Powered Radio in Spindale, North Carolina, and many parts around there. As always, if you want more information about any of our guests, if you want to just even get a vague idea of what's been happening here, at Etown this week and see what everybody looks like. You can do all that stuff at Etown.org. You can also find out about how to get tickets to live shows and much more. Um, right now, please help me welcome back to Etown along with Jeremy Kittle and the Free Range Strings, Aoife O'Donovan.
6: Please welcome back Ludex, Stephanie, and Paul. We're going to do a song by Hazel Dickens now. Any Hazel Dickens fans out there? I obviously can't speak for Hazel, but this song is is just a really beautiful song that I think feels so modern in its lyric. It's called Pretty Bird, and it's just, I think it's kind of a new feminist anthem in my mind. This beautiful arrangement is once again by Jeremy.
7: Fly away, little pretty Those on tender flame
6: Thank you so much. Well, a huge thank you to these incredible local string players. Stephanie Ludeck and Paul, and of course Jeremy Kittle from New York. It's always a huge treat to be here at E-Town with Nick and Helen, my good buddies, and uh, getting to see and hear bands like Che Apaleche and all the other incredible musicians who walk through these doors. This is a very special place and you guys are all so lucky to be here um, with this place in your midst, it's amazing. I'll just play a really quick Joni Mitchell song because why not?
7: If you're driving into town Dialing the numbers bound to love you Oh honey, you turn me on I'm a radio I'm a country station I'm a little bit corny I'm a wildwood flower waving for you I'm a broadcasting tower waving for you and I'm sending you this signal here. And I hope you can pick it up loud and clear. Because I know you don't like weak women. You get bored so quick. And you don't like strong women, because they're hip to your tricks. It's been dirty for dirty down the line, but you know, Come when you whistle, when you're loving and kind And if you've got too many doubts If there's no good reception for me then Tune me out Cause honey, who needs aesthetic static? It hurts the head and you wind up cracking and your day goes dismal from breakfast money to the sign of prayer. What a sorry face you get to wear. I'm gonna tell you again now if you're still listening there. If you're driving into town with a dark cloud above you, dial in the number who's bound to love you. If you lie. Says to go and kick off the sandflies, honey. The love still flowing. If your head says forget it, and your heart's still smoking, call me at the station.
0: Aoife O'Donovan, the new record is called Bullfrog's Prune out on Yep Rock Records. She had help from Jeremy Kittle, Ludek Wojtkowski, Stephanie Stephanie Mientka, Paul Earhart, also known as the Free Range Strings. Aoife O'Donovan, we've got time for one more song. I want to thank all our guests. Um, Thanks to, uh, of course, our interview guest, B. Johnson author of The Zero Waste Home and a real leader for the Zero Waste Lifestyle Movement. Thank you, B. Thanks to Che Apalache from Argentina. And Aoife Donovan, along to Jeremy Kittle at Free Range Strings. We found a cover song we hope you'll like. It seems to fit the theme of the show.
1: E-Town's recorded at E-Town Hall and produced by our donor-supported nonprofit organization. To comment about the show, send us an email at info at etown.org or reach us on Twitter or Facebook. By our family of sponsors, this station, and listeners like you.
0: Stevens song at the end of a show like this, right? Can't hurt. Here's for peace and understanding. Che Apalache, Ipho O'Donovan, Jeremy Kittle, and the Free Range Strings. We'll see you next time. Thank you for being here.
1: This is a production of the E-Town Radio Network.
0: That's Ifa O'Donovan and Che Apalache, along with B. Johnson, another wonderful combination, at least in our minds,
4: of ingredients this week. I'm Nick Forster. Thank you for listening.